This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. Let's first get into where you got your start and maybe kind of what led you up to now running Grandpa Ray Outdoors. Uh, I know you got started in, is it the early 90s in kind of the ag business? Yeah, so in 1991, I graduated college December 1990, and basically right out of college, I became an independent ruminant nutrition consultant, Mm -hmm. and um, that was back in the day where, you know, a lot of people, you'd sell feed or you'd sell seed, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to be a a feed salesman, so uh, basically how I kind of uh, got around that in my own brain was basically I became a consultant, so... Uh, what it meant is I did more one-on-one consulting uh, with mm-hmm. a focus of more being dairy, but that kind of branched and took off. And, you know, early on, I actually worked with some deer farmers. Mm-hmm. I got involved in the, you know, the seed end of it because I had farmers I was consulting with on the, far, you know, the dairy side or beef side. They're like, hey, can I, can you give me some, uh, you know, clover? Can you give me some alfalfa? Can you give me some turnips, chicory? I mean, some of the same things that became popular in the wildlife industry. Um, I was, you know, selling to my, you know, my clients, and you know, so I did that for about twenty years. Mm-hmm. And then after my son was born, uh, my son's mom was like, "Hey, maybe you should, you know, get a paycheck that gives you a paycheck every two weeks." And and but what? It, but really, what? Which I considered what happened is I actually took a job in seed distribution for a large Midwest company where I was in charge of uh, helping increase business on the egg side mm-hmm. um, in the, in the seven state Midwest area. And, and that ultimately, um, you know, led me to have more exposure in the Midwest and, you know, in distribution, um, which led me to another opportunity where a large seed distribution company is, where I helped them change their lineup, develop products, um, and indirectly then that led me to my passion where I'm like, I went back to being self-employed, my own boss, mm-hmm. and focused mainly on um, on wildlife, which has always been a passion of mine. So, Right, so the that kind of led you in then. All your experience in seed distribution and then consulting and all that kind of leads directly into what you're doing now, I guess, with Grandpa Ray's. Yeah, well, here's what I what I discovered. I mean, from taking job in distribution, I discovered what not to do. You know, I, I learned what worked, but I knew what didn't work. And mm-hmm. so, for example, this is something I guess I haven't talked about too much, but there's a rhyme or reason behind the color coding and the type of bags I even sell. Um, and I learned that, uh, you know, you know, when, even when I was independent, you know, I was buying yeah. from multiple seed companies and then when I got a distribution, I'm like, you know, a lot of employees don't always under, don't remember names of all the products and, or maybe if it's like, uh, one of my, you know, customers, he, um, wanted to bake a frosty delight, but he told his wife to go into a uh, grandpa Ray's dealer and all of a sudden she's like, well, I can't remember what seed, uh-huh. but, and, 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 you know, so it's something that's like, well, if you don't remember the name of the product, but you remember the color of the bag, right? then something can help you better. So there's a lot of little things, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, I, I've, you know, learned over the years that would make it easier, not just for me, not just for end user, mm-hmm. but even like, you know, the dealer chain. Um, and then, you know, I have numerous examples of stuff that Grandpa Ray's does that probably most wildlife companies wouldn't think about because a lot of people that are selling seed haven't been in, you know, haven't been in all assets, all all facets, Uh, you know, uh, somebody buying seed, somebody distributing seed, Mm -hmm. somebody, you know, um, you know, like grandpa Ray's. So, right. Okay. So uh, when did you officially start grandpa Ray's and were you doing that along with the other thing, or did you just kind of dive right into it? Yeah, so actually, Grandpa Ray's was started before I even, uh, you know, I, I was actually dabbling in it as a side venture mm-hmm. when I was, you know, in distribution. Um, 
because there's a number of products that I, you know, had been selling to my, to my clients and, uh, some of the products, you know, I had sitting there, uh, when I took a job with one of the seed distribution companies and they had the opportunity to sell, uh, you know, like the mineral products, my grandpa ultimate deer mineral basically started, you know, well, it's right almost from the start, you know, 30 years ago is where it first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and for different reasons, you know, I, I, my grandpa raised, I mean, it was more or less selling to a couple of my buddies that are also grandpa raised dealers, um, a bunch of my former customers when I was, you know, self-employed. So grandpa raised has probably been out there, you know, um, some of the products, uh, for a good, you know, 10, 11 years, okay. but grandpa raised has basically been, you know, full time, uh, you know, major distribution in a brand. Uh, it actually started in May and I think this is the sixth year. Okay. So, yeah. So you kind of got into this full time now, obviously, uh, all your experience you talked about, you know, helps out with a lot of the marketing part of it and getting your seed out there and the selling part of it. So what about the actual seed part? What kind of helps you sell it there? What makes you different from, I guess, the other seed deal or the other seed producers, manufacturers, however you want to say it? Yeah, this is a great question. And this actually probably goes back to uh, about 20 years ago. So like I've always done research. I've always had companies reach out to me, um, you know, even from the get-go. I mean, I've always been planting, selling, distributing, you know, different products. Like, you know, even back in the early 90s, things like turnips, purple top turnips, peanut chicory, et cetera, et cetera. So I've always, you know, seen how it grew, knew the pros and the cons of it, you know, with my customers. But over the years, you know, I got into hardcore you know, research and, um, and I, and I, I believe, and I, I say this numerous times is, you know, nobody does the amount of research that Grandpa Ray's does and the type of research, you know, sure. Different companies might plant some of their own blends and then they look at it, but you know, we plant, I think this year it's 71 acres of research plots. Uh-huh. And um, there's probably, I, I don't remember the exact number now. I mean, there's probably pushed in 100 different species I plant. Um, and yet I also believe, well, actually I know I have the most extensive lineup of, of forage samples. So like, you know, people might plant forages, but do they measure the growth? And do they send the forage analysis into the labs to find out what's the protein levels, what's the mineral levels, what's mm-hmm. the energy levels, all those kind of things. And the reason why that is important is if you don't know how something yields and you don't know how it is nu- uh, nutrient-wise, then how do you know how to fertilize it? Right. And so, um you know, a, a high percentage of the forges in the wildlife industry that are that have been sampled at, you know, a lot of the more pop, especially, um, you know, the more uh, larger uh, forge testing labs in Wisconsin, uh, which also serves, you know, the U.S., they're, they're my forges. So I have, you know, I, I'd venture to say I have more forge samples in labs than probably all the wildlife industry combined, as mm-hmm. crazy as that might sound. Right. So let me ask you kind of a, I guess a more specific type of that question or form of that question. Let's say you've got uh, a grandpa raised radish, I guess, versus a radish from a different wildlife nutrition company, whoever it may be. Um, Is there a difference between that specific seed, that type of radish for this instance, or is it more of what you put with it in a specific blend that kind of separates you? Um, is the yeah, research radish, done more on like the specific seed that you're getting and put in there or, or right? Or, yeah. And radish is actually one unique example where there's probably, you know, I mean, endless amount of possibilities. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's 40, 50 different types of brand name radishes, mm-hmm. but guess what? Most of them are all day con there. Most of those are all grown by four guys in the Willamette Valley. Okay. So that's one example of a forge that pretty much anybody that's selling, you know, a radish, no matter what fancy name or brand they put on it, mm-hmm. they're pretty much the same. That being said, there is a couple different types. There's a forge radish called Graza. There's actually 
driller radish that doesn't grow one just long tuber i mean there's you know branch it's a branchy type radish um and then there's a nematode you know resistant type uh, um, radish so there is a little there's a few different radishes but for the most part most people in the wildlife industry are selling the same radishes grown by four guys but but there is examples of a lot of other forges that i use um the very few companies use and for example um two of the ones in my uh Giro forge brassica blend i don't believe anybody in the industry sells and the third one very very few people sell so there's forges that i'm always selling mm-hmm. that either nobody's selling in the industry yet right or very few people are at this point in time mm-hmm so that kind of separates your your blends as well, I guess. And you're using some stuff that other guys aren't necessarily using. And then you're, uh, how much of that is deciding what works well together in a blend? Uh, is that part of your research as well? Like you'll go in and put a plot with this type of seed and this type of seed together and decide, okay, they grew really well together, planted at the same time. How much of that goes into it? There's a lot. I've actually posted on that on occasion. That that could be a whole seminar topic in itself. Right. I call it blend synergy, mm-hmm. and that's a science. I mean, that that basically even even my employee, that's a really really smart guy. I mean, that that's something that I would say you know it it took me numerous years of research um, to learn uh, you know what works good together, what doesn't, and so I kind of I'm trying to sum it up as saying. There's a lot of forges that are competitive, that are fast-growing, and that are aggressive. There's also a lot of forges that are non-competitive. They don't like being touched. They don't like being crowded. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you an example. And, and, again, when I look at blends by other companies, I have a pretty idea right away how it's going to yield, how it's going to – uh, be on various soils because I've been doing this for 30 years. I right. mean, it's just, you know, experience. I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't, you know, replace that. But here's an example that you see a lot in the wildlife industry. You see sugar beets in blends. And again, I don't, I mean, love sugar beets in a lot of blends because you got to have it planted with non-competitive species. Mm-hmm. If you plant a lot of species, for example, like 10, 12 different species. I mean, I'm not going to mention any company's names, but there's some stuff out there uh-huh. that if you look at the blend, I mean, with the amount of rape and other different species and some other um, competitive species, about the only place you're going to find sugar beets is on the edge of the fields, the mm-hmm. edge of the plots. Mm-hmm. And how do I know that? Because I've been doing so many cocktail blends for many, many years yep. that, I mean, I learned, you know, Grandpa Ray's isn't just, hey, this looks good, this works. Right. It's like we know what doesn't work, and that's what really separates Grandpa Ray's from anybody else in the industry is, you know, most companies maybe have a limited amount of repetitions or years of experience. I've done so much research that it isn't just, hey, it works good a lot of the time mm-hmm. or some of the time. I want any of the blends that I put together that I formulate to be as foolproof as I can be. I mean, if it's right. not 99, 90, 95%, likely it's going to be successful, whether it's Maine or Florida or Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pass that forge. I'm not going to pass that blend. Right. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with some of our clients about well, sugar beets in particular, because it's such a big marketed thing in the outdoor industry right now, seems like for whatever reason, whether they just, the name's marketable, I guess, and you see it everywhere. And it's kind of a buzzword for guys buying food plot blends. Uh, and like you said, it's not necessarily, it needs space. It's not really good for it being put in a blend, especially with 11, 12 other things, you know. Well, there's one more point with that too. Most people don't understand. Most brassicas could sit on top of the ground or near the top, mm-hmm. eight to quarter inch deep. Sugar beets are the most one of the most finicky things you can ever plant. Mm-hmm. They need to be a half inch deep. So that could be a challenge. So, I mean, if you're planting your food plots yeah. and your your brassica blends deeper, yeah, you can get away with it. But then again, some of your other species mm-hmm. might be buried too deep. But again, um. You know, there's just so many things. I mean, not even you know, beyond sugar beets. There's yeah. there's so many different forges that, um, 
and I don't know how to say this, but the average company that sells seed in the wildlife industry, guys aren't typically in that industry for a full-time job for a living. I mean, right. there's so many blends put together that, you know, for most people, they, they don't understand the, you know, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. But for guys that do, that do seed for a living or do agronomy work for a living, you spot stuff that just, you know, it will just drive me mad. And it's right. like, I don't know if some of these companies don't know what they don't know or if it's just like, well, they don't care. And, um, and that's a whole, I mean, and that's, and that's a whole other topic. I right. mean, profit yeah. margin. Yeah. I mean, maybe the biggest factor with a lot of blends is marketing and, and how much profit can I make mm-hmm. I think off that's that a lot bag of, of seed. Hey, John, uh, I'm Nate. I'm in here with Canyon. Hey, I wanted to ask you, um, when you're picking specific uh, seeds, specific species of seeds uh, for testing or anything, um, are you looking for what's going to yield the best uh, a nutritious value coming back from the lab or how attractive it is uh, to the deer? Uh, like, for instance, I know that potatoes aren't good for me, but I really like them. Uh, I know that I should be eating salad and lean meat. Uh but anyway, like, are you looking for how nutritious it's actually going to be to the deer or its specific attractiveness to the deer, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, that's another outstanding question here that I haven't been asked a lot. And here's the perspective that a lot of people don't think about, okay? And so me being a new ruminant nutritionist, you know, first and foremost, mm-hmm. I mean, nutrition is, is hugely important. But you still need yield because my average customer I work with is you know, holding and attracting a higher amount of deer on their property than the average food plotter. So you got to have, you got to have yield. Mm-hmm. And then, and then lastly, you know, we're looking at, you know, well, you know, uh, mother nature. And that's one thing that, you know, I, I look at probably more than anybody else out there. So when I formulate a blend, you know, because I sell to people from Maine to Florida to Texas to Idaho. I mean, I'm selling to all over the United States. So that is one factor. You're going to have mixes that you can plant most areas of the U.S. But also the lot of the same factors that produce high yield also produce better nutrition. And most mm-hmm. people probably haven't heard it, don't know it, don't understand it, but it's true. And then lastly, a lot of the genetics that I'm, that I'm um, purchasing, that I'm looking for, um, this is one thing, you, need to, you know, if you want to touch on it, but I even had this conversation with a large, one of the largest seed companies in the world, which I work with two of the largest seed companies in the world, which is why I have access to a lot of genetics. You know, I was, you know, even today, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to work on the logistics of getting a variety that nobody or maybe one other company, maybe one other company is using, but it might be taking me until 2023 to to, to get a bunch of pallets of that forge into mm-hmm. me. Right. So that is a challenge, but yet that forge is a high, high yielding, very attractive to deer and we can plant it anywhere in the U S. Mm-hmm. So as long as I provide the right dry or liquid nutrients, to that a lot of the forges I sell that tend to be high yielding they tend to be more nutritious you know because I'm not selecting forges that are poor you know poor nutritionally yeah um, and so you know and then again if through all my research which if we test that forge for one to three years before I sell it to the public if all three factors are winners then I'll sell it to the general public yeah and so I, there's very little that I sell that I will want to sell that doesn't yield really well. Mm-hmm. Because we've got to feed a lot of deer. we got a lot of moss. Oh, and, and sorry about that. I kind of wandered there a little bit. But the other part of the factor that I touched on is weather. So yes. when I blend mixes together, I always try to have something that tolerates hot. Mm-hmm. I always try to have something that tolerates uh, wet. Mm-hmm. I also try to have you know, species in a blend that grow fast and other species that mature slower 
so that you have staggered maturity, that you can handle better what Mother Nature throws at us because as w- what you guys are probably aware in your area, you probably were too dry, mm-hmm. and now guess what? You're probably almost too wet. Oh, We've yeah. about a month's <laughs> period of time, right? Yep. And so that's why when you spread out the diversity and also the maturities and the genetics, guess what? We don't have failures as likely, or at least we got something there that's always probably handling better what Mother Nature throws at us, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, You talked about uh, something that's going to handle wet. Uh, I'm excited to try the Inner Sanctum. Uh, I'm going to plant an acre of it. I've got a spot that's uh, fairly shady, which I noticed it was shade tolerant as well, and it handles the wet. It's going to be just feet from a creek, about a six-foot deep creek. Uh, So I think that's going to be the perfect thing for me to plant down there. Uh, I was looking for something that would handle the wet and would handle the shade, and you've definitely got it. Yeah, and since you brought that topic up, that mix is outstanding for shade. It's really, really good for wet. But the other part of the equation that is going on right now that I shared a post uh, to my team general members yesterday is there's seed supply issues with certain uh, forages because of last year's extreme heat. Mm-hmm. And there's also been some crop failures uh, this current year for some varieties. And so that's always a challenge for me. We tend to be ahead uh, of the game, more aware of any of these challenges uh, before most other companies, because I, um, I do some research for large companies and I'm always, you know, thinking ahead. Like, um, as I mentioned, I mean, a conversation day is trying to buy seed for next year or 2023. And so I really am aware of what forges are going to be a possible challenge. And so, um, part of the grant parades, we try not to change our tags. We try not to change our blends unless there's something extreme that comes up, uh, uh, you know, that's presented to us. Um, and most companies don't do that. Most companies are bopping around with their bags, tags, or trying to uh, make more profit margin. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they don't have the connections or the volume of products that they're selling to be buying right. So there's a lot of different forges that, you know, maybe they buy this year, they don't buy next year because, you know, they just can't get it bought. And, and I'm well aware of that. And I'm aware of a company that, you know, even admitted to me, it's like, yeah, I'd be putting one of these forges in our blend, but I can't buy it. And again, that's a forge that I can buy because of connections I have. But again, I'm higher on the food chain than a lot of wildlife companies. And that is a blessing right there in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on kind of that, uh, well, I've seen a lot of guys that are like against specific blends like brassicas, for example, or radishes and turnips, uh, in that kind of family of stuff. I saw a post today. A guy said, Nebraska is the most overrated food plot seed out there. I saw that uh, too. Uh, there's a lot of guys who just swear they put it out there and the deer will walk right through it to get to something else. Um, what do you think maybe causes that? Is there a period of where if the deer haven't been around it much, they got to figure it out? Uh, Is it possible that there are places where the deer just don't prefer it as much? Uh, What's your experience kind of with that as far as specific blends, maybe specifically brassicas right now? Because I seem to hear that around here more than anything as guys that just, they they refuse to plant that kind of stuff because they think it doesn't work. Uh, I've seen Mm -hmm. it work on my properties using it, but what do you think maybe is that that's attributed to? Do you have an idea on that? Yeah, I do. In the book, I mean, the book of brassicas I'm writing, it was supposed to be released in February, but this year had its challenges, so mm-hmm. it's been delayed. Will probably be released during the winter, and so I would venture to. I'd like to think that I probably have more experience on brassicas than anybody in the U.S. And here, and it's simple. I mean, a lot of these answers are very simple. Um, it starts with genetics, for one thing. The wildlife industry sells some genetics that deer tend not to like to eat, right? Mm -hmm. Why does the industry sell those forages? Because they can buy them cheap. Right. And again, uh, example, I got the one forge brassica I was bringing up here a little bit earlier that I got to get bought for next year, 2023. Um, uh, It's, I'd be spending um, 
almost five times more per pound for that forge than what the wildlife industry sells. Mm-hmm. Five times more. So, the, you know, genetics, there's a lot of new genetics that a lot of companies either aren't aware of or they're not willing to pay the price for. Mm-hmm. And there, a lot of this new genetics is high yielding. That helps. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, the factors that affect new yield also affect nutrition. Mm-hmm. Also, newer genetics, the one factor that hardly anybody ever thinks about, better disease package. If you have plant diseases, which a lot of people aren't aware, you you know you got plant diseases with some brassicas, they're not as high in sugar, they're not as palatable. Right. Another factor that comes into play: if your forages naturally aren't as high in sugar, you're gonna have you could have some insect issues. You have insect issues that are attacking your brassicas; they become bitter. The deer don't eat it. Okay. And so I'm planning. I'm buying you know, genetics and species that tend to be higher in sugar mm-hmm. and insects are naturally repelled by forages that are high sugar, which is why you always want forages as healthy as you can mm-hmm. because it reduces naturally diseases and you'll have natural insect uh, reduction when you have high sugars. So, um, you know, there's other factors. I mean, most people aren't putting sulfur on your brassicas. Hugely important. Most people aren't putting boron on your on your brassicas. Mm-hmm. Hugely important. Um, and as crazy as this might sound, I mean, I'll make this statement. I could stand behind it. Is I could I could get deer to eat anything. Right. I I don't know how. And again, but it's all basic agronomics. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have the team general membership. Uh, I'm always educating the general public. That's why I do as many social media posts. Mm-hmm. That's what I talk about when I speak at deer uh, shows. Um, and, you know, that's the thing is the wildlife industry generally is very uneducated as a whole mm-hmm. um, because most people that are in the wildlife industry aren't agronomists. They're not nutritionists. They have a basic understanding of fertilization and nutrients, but they the things that are don't cost that much money in a lot of cases can be essential to whether a deer walks and buy it mm-hmm. or eats it. And again, you know, better genetics definitely helps better fertilizations definitely helps. And in some cases it could also be people planted, you know, blends that don't have that synergy that they don't have diversity that don't have staggered maturities. Um, you know, maybe the brassicas have already gotten old. Maybe they overmatured because a guy planted August 1st in southern Illinois, mm-hmm. and it's uh, uh, October 15th, and, and everything's already ripe. Right. right. And, that, and, and the weather's been mild, and and uh, that's a factor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd always been curious to see what other people thought about that, because we do hear a lot of it around here, guys that are just totally against that. and mm-hmm. I. I actually try to push some of that as much as possible because especially around here where we're at, big agriculture, um, a lot of guys will say, well, I don't need to put food plots out. There's bean and corns all around me. I got hundreds of acres I got to compete with. Well, the issue is come October, November, all that stuff's gone. So we do like to use that stuff in the fall, but it's kind of, it's sometimes a challenge to get guys to go for it. Um, but like you said, when, when you do everything right, and the deer will come to it, and you're using the right blends, like what we've done with your blends, uh, and we've seen it. Uh, the deer will come and eat it, and then they kind of start to come believers just by seeing it with themselves. And I like what you said there about uh, most, a lot of people uh, that hunt or in the hunting, you know, world are a little bit maybe misinformed, or they just don't know. And I think a lot of that stems from. The, uh, the amount of marketing that goes into the hunting industry and what you see on TV uh, and just a lot of bad information being put out there because it's profitable, not necessarily because it's the best information, which was part of the reason we started the podcast in the first place. Well, and, well, and, I, and this is something I, I usually tell people off the record, people may not sink them, but there's company. I mean, the wildlife industry is relatively small, but there's not a lot of secrets per se. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people that are in major distribution know who buys, rejects seed, cheap seed, the, or sells old seed, you know, mm-hmm. and also, um, you know, there's 
you know, the wildlife industry is being, a lot of companies are being bought up by people in the wildlife industry that sell other products, right? Yeah. You know, everything from, um, in the wildlife industry, there's, there's a group of people that own a huge amount of wildlife industry yep. uh, companies. And I'm aware of one of the companies because I actually was consulting with them to offer them a lineup uh, that was working on. And what usually happens is when there's purchases, which there's two large wildlife companies were bought up recently in the last couple of years, their lineups always change. Their lineups always get cheapened up. Their lineups, when you these companies buy, they spend a lot of money to buy a lineup. They they got to they got to pay for that. They got to make a profit. So as crazy as it sounds, a lot of the reasons or not a reasons, some of the reasons why. Hey, why did you not eat my brassicas? The answer I should say as well because of I mean you're using a lot of cheap, fast growing, uh, older genetic forages that mm-hmm. they just the deer just don't perform as much as the new stuff. Yeah, could be as simple as that to sum it up. Even yeah, stuff that maybe kind of it looks pretty when you put it out there. It looks pretty on TV, but it's not always uh, like you said the best thing. And what I'm hearing is kind of like anything else. You get what you pay for. So you might be saving a few bucks on a bag of seed, but it's not necessarily going to be the get you the best results. And at the end of the day, we're all trying to, you know, kill the buck we're after or bring deer in to put food on the table or whatever and if it takes a couple extra bucks to do that or make that a little easier you know it's worth a couple extra dollars especially you know the amount of money we spend on hunting stuff anyway well and here's something else that comes into play that I, that just came up yesterday too you brought up about spending an extra couple bucks the thing that a lot of people don't realize is wait if you really looked at tags closely i had a guy that asked me on my private page or posted recently and you know, if I had a $40 bag of seed that did a half acre, four and a quarter pound bag of Frosty Delight, for example, mm-hmm. you know, another company could say, hey, I got a bag. It's 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 a four pound bag that does a half acre. Okay, but what's in there? How much seed does that actually, that four pound bag, should that four pound bag cover? And then again, a part of the equation is, is they got 35% coating on it. You really, how much seed did you just buy? Didn't you just buy 2.75 pounds of seed versus four yep. and a quarter? Yeah. So if you paid $32 a bag versus 40, mm-hmm. but what did you really pay for that four pound bag? Yeah. How much right. did you, are you really spending per acre? And that's a whole other topic in itself. The incredible shrinking bag syndrome, <laughs> yeah. the wildlife industry. <clears throat> yeah. How much of a hundred percent stand are you actually buying? Are you buying a mix that's going to really cover half an acre or might it be covering a third of an acre? Yep. And that's, you know, the way you package stuff too. I just had this thought when you go into a store, a lot of times you got to look for that tag on the bag that you're looking for to find out what's actually in it. Um, most of them put it on there, but it's usually in the bottom or in a fold or something. Uh, all the stuff I've got from you, it's pretty much right there on the front or right there on the back where you can read it pretty obviously. And I think a lot of guys don't, they don't pay any attention to what's actually in there, like what you're talking about. So then you end up spending $35 on two pounds of seed instead of $40 on four. Well, and, and, and again, I, I do understand it. I mean, I, I had a dealer to me that's mentioned to me today that one of his customers that you know bought my seed was just in there and he's like, well, I just want something that, that looks good. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's one of the most common things. People just want something that looks good. Yep. I but, get, I, yeah, <laughs> but in again, I get it. In again, it's like we're all we all want to see something that looks beautiful. Yeah, and we hear it on the hunting shows. I mean, hey, there's this guy that killed this really nice buck in this plot, and the plot looks really good. I want that, right? Mm-hmm. That's human nature. I mean, that's and that's the pro and the con. I mean, I currently am not working with hunting shows, you know, for various reasons, and yet, you know, the hunting show industry. Um, has sold a lot of seed in this day, and a lot of yeah. the hunting celebrities, uh, as there's different hunting celebrities that have influences, and people buy because they want to buy what this guy and that guy buys. And there's a whole other stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff behind that that the hunting industry is aware of. That you know, you'd be surprised how many people are pushing a product that don't even use that product themselves, or yeah. that wasn't the product. 
that was used that they, yep. you know, and, and to be and I'm actually one of those cases. I mean, I actually have sold seed to people that are in the hunting industry that are mm-hmm. supposed to be using other company seeds that represent, you know, those products. Yep. But guess what? They're using Grandpa Ray's as crazy as that might sound. Right, so. but they have the contract to show the other bag on, on camera. Yep, and again, because, you know, and again, I mean, we understand that, but that's where from Grandpa Ray's where I want to be different mm-hmm. is I want my products to stand alone. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want people to buy Grandpa Ray's because of a, of a name, a face, somebody that might push Grandpa Ray's this year gets a bigger better deal from some other company that jumps around every few years with whoever he gets a great deal with Mm -hmm. i want to have a faithful client base and a faithful dealer base that's based on education quality products where every year people just keep coming back because they know they're buying the best they know they're getting as much education and support they can get and maybe most of all if i have something that is in that bag of seed um that uh, nobody else has. I mean, I also want to appeal to people that want something that other people don't have. I want some products that are new because there's a certain amount of people that are always like, hey, what do you got that's new? Mm-hmm. And Grandpa Ray's has always got something new. Right. And I think there's some value in that. Yeah, for sure. Hey, John, uh, another question I had for you. Uh, I was talking to a guy recently about alfalfa. Um, I know that alfalfa can be a little bit hard to deal with, uh, but I know that deer uh, really desire it. Uh, I have sat and looked across the fence at the neighbor's 10-acre alfalfa field and watched 20 to 30 deer a night out there, and none of them were over on my side of the fence in my food plot. I've seen that in the past. Uh, So anyway, I'm planting an acre of mass builder from you and then a half acre of elite in a different Mm -hmm. spot. I know both of them have alfalfa in there. Uh, Tell me... Uh, crash course, give me a crash course on alfalfa, uh, what, what I need to do to make sure, uh, that I am most successful with that. I'm a huge fan of alfalfa. The years we had the biggest bucks on the Grand Parade's farm is when we've had the most alfalfa because it was an active dairy farm. And a lot of my areas of Wisconsin where I work with guys that have a lot of really big, healthy deer, huge bucks, guess what? They're near, uh, functioning active dairy farms. You go in the winter, you'll still, you'll see you know, a lot of uh, deer out in those fields. And, a, and one little quick story I'll, I'll talk real quick on is a guy that was in the hunting industry that was uh, out there shooting a bunch of pictures in one of my client's fields, and he got a hold of me. He's like, hey, John, what are the deer eating? It's 14 below zero in January. I don't see hurling in the field, <laughs> but there's deer everywhere. And I said, well, it's one of my mixes that's heavy on alfalfa. Mm-hmm. And that kind of changes to a little bit. But how do you keep those deer you know, coming into the alfalfa fields because it does take some management. Yeah, alfalfa needs a little higher pH. It does have, it's a lot higher yielding. So you got to be aware that you need to be using a lot more potassium and the average food plotter's not putting enough potassium down. And again, if you're going to be planting a heavier amount of alfalfa in a field, you know, you know that it's going to yield more. So if you're having to clip it, you got a little bit more material, a little bit more trash or residue that's going to drop to the, you know, on the land. It's, you got to make sure it's not smothering out, you know, whatever's, you know, uh, the, you know, the regrowth. So you need to clip, if you have a heavy alfalfa mix, you'll have to clip it a little more than a lower yielding mm-hmm. ladino clover mix. So that's one part of it. And again, I brought up before sulfur, boron, you know, when we're talking brassicas, really important for alfalfa. Uh, having a higher pH really important for alfalfa. So, um, and to keep alfalfa growing for a number of years, I would just say use the term uh, winterizing. I mean, even if you're in the deep south, I mean, it's still the same. You know, um, is you just you got to have enough alfalfa, enough alfalfa. You got to have enough potassium on your alfalfa, um, you know, to make it sustainable. You know, for multiple years, and so. Uh, low yielding ladino clover blend might yield two ton an acre, but if you're in really productive soil and, um, different areas in the, in the United States, I mean, you got a lot of alfalfas that could be used in, you know, that, that could be, uh, yielding six ton, eight mm-hmm. ton. And even in the best case scenarios, you can even see 10 ton of yield per year. So stop and think about it. 
how much more potassium you need to put down every year. It's a simple math. If you got six ton yield on alfalfa and it's two ton yield on ladino clover, you need to put three times more potassium down if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and that's really, really important. People, I just can't stress that enough, is you need to get the groceries in those high-yielding forages, whether it be alfalfa, these newer, higher-yielding you know, uh, brassicas. Anything that's higher-yielding, you can't cut corners on fertility. Yeah. Right. Hey, John, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so we'll maybe get you one last question here. And I'd like to, you know, maybe have you on again sometime in the future as well, and we can talk about some more stuff. And then... I think, like you said, you've got a book coming out, maybe. Uh, if if that comes out, we could get you on here to talk about it a little bit. But kind of to close us out for tonight, and maybe it's like picking your favorite kids, but let's go with a fall blend for just a Midwest, we'll call it Midwest, um, Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, that area. What what fall blend is your would be your go-to? And, uh, you know, average soil conditions – a uh, guy that's going to do some fertilizing if he needs it, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a question too. That I mean, in the past, I mean, my biggest seller is Frosty Delight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to give you a different answer. Um, guys got really good soil. I mean, Frosty Delight, I sell a pile of it. It's my biggest seller. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking an average food plotter, maybe a guy that um, it could be newer, it could be an experienced guy. Um, I like my grains and greens. Mm-hmm. What it has is. Um, I'll explain why. It's got winter wheat, winter rye, winter mm-hmm. triticale, buckwheat, peas, Winford, Nebraska, turnips, radish, and um, and kale. And the reason why I like it um, is because you also got regrowth the following spring. Right. And not enough guys are planting spring cover crops. They say, well, I just want to plant fall focus yep. plots. So at least we give it gives all those does and bucks some um, – you know, some nutrition, some forages mm-hmm. in the spring. You get some regrowth in the spring. It, uh, it, you know, it's helping, you know, keep weeds at bay. Yep. Um, and when you decide to lightly till that down or work it down next year, it's also building healthy soils. So the reason why I like it is beyond the, hey, it's really diverse. You know, there's stuff that grows fast. There's stuff that's going to be good for, you know, early, early fall mid fall late fall winter you know with the bulbs and everything so it's it gives you a, a lot of you know attraction for a long period of time but i love it because it's easy i mean it's hard not to grow i mean no matter how you know no matter what mother nature throws out of you no matter how uh, inexperienced or new or or even experienced it's hard to screw up it's hard right. to not yep. grow really well yep. and i think there's a big value in that i mean oh, yeah. yeah my highest yielding is frosty delight the, the mix that kills the most bucks really season is fall draw but i love my grains and greens for the future not just the now if that yep. makes sense yep and i'm actually glad you said that because on one of my bigger plots this year i think that's what i'm going to go with so <laughs> that's the one i've been looking at for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned but like i said uh, John, we'll get you off here. Before we do, uh, I know you've you've kind of mentioned it just a little bit, like your team GRO. Uh, where are some places that people can find you? Maybe well on social media and some of those groups that you have, or uh, stuff where people can get some more of this information. Yeah, we have a private membership. You go on my website, which is www.grandparayoutdoors.com. Mm-hmm. If you spend twenty five dollars a year, you get a monthly newsletter. 10% off all your products. So again, that could pay for the membership pretty easily. Yeah. You get access to a private Facebook page. I do shoot some private YouTube videos for stuff that I don't want the whole wildlife industry to know about, but yet people that are part of the team get access to, uh, people couldn't find me. Even if you're not a member, you can find me on the grandpa Ray outdoors, uh, YouTube channel. You could follow along on Facebook underneath Grandpa Ray's. I'm always doing a lot of uh, posts there to help educate the people. Um, and I also do a quite a bit of blogging. So, like, if you check out my website, there's a blog area where you can check out new and past blogs. So, uh, oh, and then there's also Instagram mm-hmm. and uh, Twitter. So I do a little bit of Twittering, uh, tweeting and some Instagram posts on occasion. So... 
there's just a whole myriad of opportunities to get educated uh, by different venues that I use. Awesome. Hey, John, thanks for coming on. And like I said, definitely want to try to get you on again sometime. Uh, always appreciate guys that want to come on and help uh, get some good information out there to deer hunters and all that and guys that are in it for the right reasons and doing the right stuff. So thanks again, yeah. and we look forward to having you back. Yeah, I appreciate it. You had some really good questions and a couple of the things tonight that I usually don't get asked, and uh, I'm glad we got some of that covered tonight. Yeah, well, I'm glad we stumbled into those then. <laughs> but all right, John, I'll let you get out of here. Uh, thanks again. Okay, thank you. Yep. All right, that was John O'Brien, like I said, with Grandpa Ray Outdoors. I thought he had a ton of good information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that, what he talked about, is the reason we work with him. Uh, that's the reason we kind of started. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember how I found him in the first place, but we used some of his stuff on, like I said, client properties and really worked, really liked what we saw, and then got dug more into it and then found out a lot of like some of the stuff he was talking about and then just talking to him there tonight. That's kind of the guys we want to work with that are doing it for the right reasons and maybe it costs a little extra Maybe he's not making quite the same profit margins as some of those bigger companies, but he's putting out good quality stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did he say about radishes? There's 40 or 50 different kinds of radish yeah. varieties. Yeah. Um, it sounds like he has figured out uh, the ones or the one or the ones that he wants to use and uh, has reasons why he wants to use those. Uh, and I did like where he said uh, uh, some people are just selling you old seed, you know, that they've, they've yeah. had on the shelf. Uh, I have always wanted to have the freshest seed that I can possibly get my hands on because I feel like you got the best chance of it coming up and doing good for you. Yeah, and that's a worth any extra money you're paying for it in my mind, like we talked about a little bit there. And then I thought it was interesting too where you said you have those different varieties of radishes, but most of them come from like the same four guys or mm-hmm. something. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I'd say we could have had an easy two-hour podcast three-hour podcast talking with him about i'd say so just his plethora of knowledge on all of that different kind of stuff and that's hopefully we'll have him on again sometime i'm sure we will yeah i'll be interested to talk about the book that he kind of mentioned there Mm -hmm. uh the brassicas book Mm -hmm. that's gonna be a big one because that's why i asked him that question and you know it there's so many guys around here specifically and i'm sure it's all across guys that deer hunt they just hate them for whatever reason yeah so in, in this area we do have uh in kansas right yes correct uh we do have uh plenty of very good stuff for deer to eat already uh especially with the corn and beans uh then you got hay fields mixed in there um we got decent soil around here you know you, you get to the bottoms so you do have real good soil uh anyway i have planted some different stuff in the past uh just odds and ends you know i'm thinking man this stuff it ain't worth anything uh i know one time we had some turnips out, and uh, the deer were not eating the turnips whatsoever. Uh, but the old neighbor guy was coming over, and he was getting some turnips every now and then. <laughs> yeah. And he says they was some of the finest turnips he'd ever had. Yep. You know, uh, so like I couldn't figure that one out. Uh, why Larry thought that the turnips was great and the deer didn't. Right. You know. But anyway, um, it sounds like uh, potentially I might have been sold some of the cheapest turnips that a uh, you know that uh, guys in the in the seed industry could get their hands on. To where, uh, you know, John's not doing that. He's, he's yeah. figuring out what the right thing is to plant for deer, mm-hmm. uh, why it's good for them, and make sure that they're going to like it. Yeah, and, it, you know, maybe we have just that much different of a palate than deer because I'm not going out there and eating the leaves off the top of a lot of things. And, uh-uh, no. Uh, browsing around on blackberry brambles and Correct. whatever else. So. I mean, if, if I was a deer, I think I'd be up in uh, in the people's gardens. I'd be the spike that gets killed quick, huh? I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be looking for the cookies uh, and that kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a lot of good stuff there from John. If you guys do have any questions specifically for him or you want to uh, find out more about Grandpa Ray's, it is GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. And we always do the his sponsorship read on here because he does. We are partnering with him on the podcast. Basically, the whole podcast has been uh, an ad for them. And for good reason. I mean, I'm, we're there's a reason we're working with them again. But if you do go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and you want to support us as well, type in the discount code RHO Podcast, and then I'll give you an extra 5% off your entire order. And it's going to show him that you guys are listening to us and you heard about him through us. So it's going to help support us as well. The other sponsor we had 
have for the podcast is Rack's Big Game Supplements. And before I get into the read on that, I did want to make something clear that, because, uh, you know, we talk a lot about being in Kansas a lot of time. We're actually in Illinois, so uh, it's not technically legal to, technically, it's not legal to use any kind of supplement in Illinois. Uh, the law is a little bit confusing on it, the way it's read and written. Go figure, the people, lawmakers in Illinois wrote something confusing. But it's not legal to use that stuff in Illinois. So when we talk about this stuff, we're not really talking about using it here um, if you are from Illinois, you've got property elsewhere where it is legal. Obviously, we, we want you to come buy it from us because we can still sell it. You just can't use it here. So if there's ever any confusion about maybe where we were using that stuff, uh, you know, I've got family that's got farms in Missouri. we got a couple buddies over there that are in some counties that aren't CWD regulated. So we got client properties all over the Midwest that put that stuff on too as well. So hopefully there was no confusion there. We had someone reach out that said there might have been. So... I wanted to make that clear that we were not using them here uh, on the properties we have around here, but I I haven't checked the rules in Kansas, so maybe on those ones out there. We actually <laughs> do have some clients in Kansas, so I should probably read up on that. But if you guys do have a place where you can use them, we do recommend Rack's Big Game Supplements uh, from what we've seen, like I said, on client properties from these guys. It's great stuff. Uh, and they're a veteran-owned company out of northeast Nebraska, any veteran-owned company that we can support, I'm all for that too. Just the same reason we work with Grandpa Ray's because he's doing things the right way. Uh, if we can support veterans who have, you know, sacrificed so much for us, that's what I want to do. And not only that, they make good products too. So they're deer hunters just like everybody else out there. Uh, they were looking for more out of the mineral and feed market than existed at the time. Like we talked about with John, these guys have also done tons of research and they've developed their Racks products through that research. And they've come up with one of the best mixes available to improve overall herd health and not targeting the non-species. Yeah, targeting the non-target species. I totally screwed that up. But anyway, they've got minerals, protein blocks, pelletized feed, and meal feed, all specifically designed for whitetails. You guys can go to their website, racksmineral.com, and use uh, discount code RHO22 to, again, receive 5% off your entire order. So that's another way you guys can support us is to go on their website and then use that discount code if you have a place where you can use it. So uh, along with supporting, you can also check out our website. It's a little bit different now. We're not, uh, we don't anymore have the products that we have in the store on the website. It's more our products, the podcast. You guys can listen to that there. Our whole catalog of podcasts is on the website. It's ridgehunteroutdoors.com, so go check it out. We've got apparel hats, t-shirts, all that stuff. That's the way you guys can support the podcast as well. So we appreciate everybody listening. And Nate, you got anything else for this week? I don't think so. Good stuff from John up yeah. in Wisconsin. Absolutely. So thanks again. We'll catch you guys next Monday.